The Interchange is brought to you by Jinko Solar, a leading solar panel manufacturer and energy storage integrator. Publicly listed on the New York Stock Exchange, Jinko Solar has deployed 100 gigawatts in 160 countries globally, including more than 15 gigawatts in the U.S. As a global leader with strong regional focus, Jinko Solar has a sales office located in San Francisco, California, and a manufacturing facility in Jacksonville, Florida, with over 300 employees available to provide customers with timely, local service. Jinko Solar now offers energy storage for a variety of residential, CNI, and utility projects. To learn more about Jinko's Eagle Storage Solutions, visit www.jinkosolar.us/interchange. Up until now, there's, it's been tough for the battery companies to provide enough storage to vendors. So if, if you're getting a battery right now, you're probably waiting three to four or five months to get that battery on your home. ESG is actually adding value to those projects. So it's creating jobs. You're helping to rehabilitate communities that were displaced by coal. This is The Interchange, Recharged. Well, we're at the final day of the Solar and Energy Storage Summit here in San Diego. Uh, still a very packed agenda focused on storage today. It's kicking off with, uh, with a discussion on the commodity crunch and how that could impact the U.S. storage market. Then we're going to have followed with a panel discussion on basically the finance and investment in, uh, in energy storage. Uh, a lot of guests, Vanessa Witte, will host that panel. Kelly Sarber, CEO of Strategic Management Group, will also be part of that panel. I'm going to see if I can uh, grab both of them for a quick chat after their panel, panel discussion. Also looking at hybridization uh, and co-location in, uh, in energy storage. So again, packed agenda, really looking forward to uh, how these conversations go and, and presentations. And we'll track down some people to talk to and get their thoughts on not only the agenda and talks of today, but also the conference in general over the past three days. A number of great sponsors let us know what they're doing in the solar and storage market, the innovations that they've made, how they see their business being impacted going forward and growth opportunities. Uh, so we'll try to see if we can track down some people with, with EPC Power, Amped, Franklin Hole Homes, Phoenix Contact, and some others that, uh, that we're able to, to pull over to our, to our booth and get their initial thoughts on, on again today, as well as how the conference has been going for them in general. Energy storage installs in 2021 surpassed 10 gigawatts. And I just listened to a very interesting panel discussion hosted by Vanessa Witte, who's a storage analyst at Wood McKenzie, and Kelly Sarber, CEO of Strategic Management Group, joined as well. I'm going to get their thoughts and views on how investor sentiment is changing uh, in energy storage and how the economics can be impacted in light of the current environment. All right, well, we're on day three of the, the summit here, and I'm joined by Vanessa Witte, a U.S. Front of Meter Energy Storage Senior Analyst at Wood McKenzie. Thank you. As well as Kelly Sarber. CEO of Strategic Management Group. Welcome. Thanks for having us. So, Vanessa, you had the pleasure of opening uh, day three. So I probably did. some uh, heavy heads from yeah. some cocktail receptions and, and late nights. So how was how was that to try to get everybody energized for day three? We had to try to energize the troops. This is this is for sure. And I don't know. I mean, I, I didn't have the chops like like Sager did yesterday. So I tried. But what I think was helpful was, you know, I, I emceed, I introed. Dan gave his presentation, and then when I gave my uh, panel on project finance that Kelly was on, and there was another gentleman, Ali Amarali from the Starwood Equity Group, he's got some jokes. So that kind of, you know, eased the transition in. So then by the end of the panel, we're just laughing, and then we went to coffee. So I think it all turned out really good. You were fortunate to have Kelly on the panel today. Kelly, what were your thoughts of the discussion? You know, well, I, I'm, I'm really bullish on the energy storage, and I've developed almost 6,000 megawatts in, in, in my uh, career here working in, in both renewable energy. I've got a 3.2 gigawatt project in development in uh, western Arizona with 2.0 uh, batteries attached to that. So it's probably the largest project in development in the United States today. And then on top of that, I primarily work in the California, New York, Arizona markets. California is really, really strong right now, and it's really can be traced back to the ISO. A market structure and the construct of the market where they allow us to take uh, different revenue streams for different stacks. So right, resource adequacy, 
voltage support, um, and then even, you know, the capacity payments. That's uh, sometimes a merchant risk that, um, so we have hedge, and then we also have some upside. So I, I think uh, altogether, everybody here is very excited about the prospects of energy storage, how it's going to be the most important component in the energy transition, and that we really need it to be in development now so that we can integrate the renewables that are coming on the grid, both in California and New York, as, as, as my specific focus. Yeah, very active week uh, on multiple fronts. And you've got a lot of experience on the full value chain. Where do you see going forward some of the biggest challenges uh, on the value chain for these projects? Well, I mean, we are in a completely different economy now than we were six months ago with the interest rates that are increasing. We've had commodity risks that's being transferred to developers. Um, You know, we've got the lack of the ITC has really dealt a, a double body blow to our industry. We really need that ITC. Um, that's an incredible incentive for us to develop projects, and it's really a flow through to the uh, you know capital stack. So without those um, in place, I think it creates some uncertainty, and that uncertainty makes it more difficult to finance. And so then basically people are looking for higher returns. And you know we're talking about an industry that there's tremendous demand for what we're doing, um, but you also have development gaps. So you know uh, I can go and secure sites, uh, we can get into the ISO queue, we can start uh, construction, I'm sorry, we can start permitting, um, we can you know sign a PPA, and then we could have a three-year gap between the time that we secure that PPA and when we're really constructing to operate. And what we've been found, what we found is if you entered into a PPA during COVID and you were, you know, uh, assuming that those rates would stay the same or go down, that's not the environment we're in right now. So I think you're going to see while there's a lot of private equity and a lot of capital, no shortage of capital, um, you know, but the difficulty in financing these projects and having deep pockets for the development side, I think is going to change the complexity of who's in the market. I think there's going to be more acquisitions and mergers of smaller developers that don't have their big boy capital pants on to fund these kinds of projects. You know, so I think you're going to see some relative changes happening in the structure of the market itself. I think demand's going to be very high, but I think the challenges are going to be more significant. Yeah, it, it, the, there's been no lack of capital. I mean, what we've heard of over the last several months is that the capital is there. It's flowing in more so than it was two years ago. But I think the change in the dynamic now is the inflation uh, rising interest rates. You're saying that the capital is still going to stay, but it just may look a little bit different and have a different mix up. Exactly. And, you know, these are high capital cost projects, right? I mean, you're talking 100 megawatts in an urban area can be as much as $175 million. So, and, you know, that's that's a lot of capital. And typically the way that these uh, these PPAs or ESSAs are structured right now, you don't have a 20-year uh, period that you're get, getting an even, evenized rate, a levelized rate over a period of time. You're typically getting a seven-year contract. So in ISO markets that don't replicate sort of California, uh, you know, the, the revenue stack, um, it's really creating uh, difficulties in the financing side because you don't have guaranteed surety. You don't have those annuity streams. Basically, all you have is a capacity market. And that capacity market right now, none of the forecasters agree what that market's going to look like in the next three years, especially in New York City because of you know bringing in 9,000 gigawatts of wind over the next 10 years and needing six gigawatts, nine gigawatts, and needing six gigawatts of storage not and not it not being in development. So what does that mean for natural gas retirement? What does that mean for res- resiliency in the grid? And how do you handle these intermittent resources as they're coming in? I think California is better positioned because the market has really evolved here and there's a lot of development going on in California. Uh, Vanessa, w- one of the topics that people have been talking about, some of the changes that are going on in the, in the energy storage market, uh, what have you seen as a change that's going to probably have the biggest impact on the storage sector? Well, I think the biggest near-term impact is what we're already experiencing with the um, supply chain issues, Uh, you know, primarily driven down to raw material. Dan Treve, the global head of storage, his presentation was kind of on that commodity crunch. That was a really great um, presentation where he brought up um, you know, how much your, your battery cell up to your battery pack cost is actually being affected by, you know, a differing change in a raw material cost. What does that look like with competition against um, EVs? How has the profit margin of the OEMs changed over time over the last, you know, four or five quarters? Um, I think, you know, overall, 
what the the word of, of the day right now is just uncertainty whether we're talking about your um, supply chain or you know project finance um, there's a lot of uncertainty in the market and that's actually like a really big issue um, it, it's really hard to mitigate that and um, financiers don't don't particularly like that I mean it's hard for developers to plan when there's uncertainty um, so I think that that's a, a really big driver in the short term and we don't particularly see that going away um, just because the increased cost of these battery projects is linked so heavily to to raw materials and then also linked so heavily to the demand that that's still there. I mean, so many states have pushed forward with renewable targets or state storage targets. And then you have your EV demand, which obviously, you know, completely overtakes um, ESS and a lot of countries have come forward with very aggressive EV targets. So so that demand is there and then we have the these supply issues. And I think that that's really just the biggest, you know, issue of the day right now. And she brings up a really good point that really flows through to affect all of our development schedules, which is that typically everybody thought that energy storage was going to follow the same uh, demand supply uh, curve that we saw in PV. So, you know, starting at 14 cents in 2010, you know, dropping now to you can do PV fields in the desert for two cents. And, you know, so you see a significant drop. So developers, you know, would love to drive, ride that curve down, sign a PPA and then ride that curve down. And then that just went straight to the uh, to their profit margin, whereas now we're really talking about competing against these very large automobile manufacturers that are securing supply chain for their batteries, and that having a really big impact on, you know, is that available to us, and is that that's driving up our cost. So, you know, you're seeing this competition for lithium-ion that's emerging from that, that's really, you know, created a lot of these supply chain issues we're seeing, and looks like that that's not going to change for two or three years. Um, and so it's going to be something that we're going to have to deal with. And what that means is it's going to be larger, again, private equity, renewable energy companies that have uh, bigger uh, balance sheets that can afford to kind of ride that and maybe even enter into supply chain agreements themselves so that we can lock those long-term prices in. That's really where you're going to start seeing change in the structure. How do you think this is impacting technological innovation. I mean, everybody's talking about longer duration storage, also uh, technology advancements on the makeup of the materials going into the batteries. But given that the, you know, with all the dynamics that we've just discussed, how do you think that is impacting some advancements that we could see? I mean, I, I think we, we both are going to have probably a good perspective on that. Um, so we touched on that a little bit on the project finance panel. And, and Ali, again, from Starwood, he had a fantastic um, uh, perspective on that and same with Hugh from Goldman Sachs so that, so essentially from the private equity financing perspective that you know what they that that, that takeaway was that the capital is is there for either that specific type of technology and just the, the industry in general right we've seen this huge injection of capital so that's there but what we're still need needing is um, some way to to mitigate the risk of these projects um, get a little bit more history and get some larger projects in the ground so that the the financing community feels more comfortable. Um, but I mean, they were overall relatively bullish on that. I'm not 100% sure if this um, particular situation that we're in right now is going to like, uh, you know, really drive long duration or non-lithium. I think there's an opportunity there for these companies to, you know, t get a little bit more ground. But again, if you need uh, to develop larger projects and get them in the ground and have that history. I mean, that's not something that takes six months, you know, like that's, that's years long process. And I mean, it's in the works now, but I just don't know if that's something that can necessarily be like super accelerated. So at the end of the day, I think there, there's a lot of companies that are going to be able to get a, a little additional foothold. And, um, and we're already seeing some kind of emerge. And um, I think they're going to be able to uh, push forward a little bit more than, than some others, but we're still going to need time to, to develop some of these longer duration technologies and that, and that history with, with how they operate. And I think I totally agree with Vanessa. And I think when you have, when you're uh, living through a period of really increasing costs for one type of battery, obviously it's going to make a lot of interest in other technologies. So, and in particular, I love long duration storage for some of the technologies because from a lithium ion standpoint, there are still safety concerns, you know, whether real or not, we're still exhibiting some fires and whatnot at different locations. And so in urban areas like where I develop Los Angeles, New York City, 
you know, it, it's something that the community thinks about. So we have to be very, very sensitive to some of the risks from lithium ion. So there's also the safety issue that's driving a lot of interest in these long uh, duration storage. And it's the old, you know, it's the old business school, you know, concept of, you know, the train guys. Are you in the train business? Or are you in the transportation business? It's the same thing. Are you in the lithium ion business? Or are you in energy storage, whether it's long or short? And I think that uh, that's forcing a lot of folks to look at where do we want to play in this market? How can we be responsive to the market? And then from a utility standpoint, how as off takers can we start to really create incentives to uh, uh, attract developers like me and like Starwood and other folks that I work with, you know, to take a risk on commercializing this technology? And can we get a, a wrap? Can we get the warranties? And that's really where things are stopping right now on a traditional finance. But we're seeing the DOE spend a lot of money trying to incubate and bring these uh, these forward. A lot of the long duration storage companies think they're through the valley of death and yet haven't been able to convince everybody that they are. And so it's just, I think it, I think it will accelerate their ability to get to market as, as soon as they can commercially demonstrate that their projects can work and that they can have the turn times that we expect and, and that we can cite and develop these on a, on a regular commercial schedule. Yeah, and you know, one other thing to note, just to kind of show really like the strength of lithium that that is still there. I mean, we know that this is the, you know, vastly predominant technology, but as we're seeing offtake uh, agreements and or just offtakers willing to pay a bit of a premium, considering the increased capex in order to still get that battery in the ground and again you know using lithium i mean that just shows that lithium is is still here to stay i mean there's there's no transition from that just because of these like you know transitory um issues that, that we're experiencing right now yeah it, i mean it is interesting on the on the technology side because my discussions with the banking community is they're all trying to get their arms around the different technologies out there, what's being developed, and what really has the ability to grow into the predominant technology out there. And that's that's what they're trying to understand. But the capital is there, and the financing is available, but they want to see it proven and developed, and they're just trying to get a head start and really understanding where who's going to be the lead horse in, in some of these developments. Well, the flow batteries with iron and salt water, the, those, I, I think, have been sort of escaped the you know horse crowd, right? I mean, in a race, they seem to be out in front. Um, and, and they have some really good working uh, facilities. Of Woody Mac ran that great tour on Monday to see Cameron Corner, where SDG&E is piloting ESS technology. Um, we really like that technology. Um, I think that the audience appreciated some of the sort of granularity that I brought to that conversation in terms of comparing lithium against the flow battery. So uh, for my uh, New York City project, we're on about two and a half acres, 100 megawatts, which, you know, even folks in California think that that's a, t a tight squeeze, but we're doing it. On that same footprint, I could probably fit between 12 to 14 megawatts of the iron flow battery. Um, but it can be a 10 to 12 hour duration. So you're going to end up actually from a daily standpoint, you know, with a close to 144 megawatts of dispatchable energy over a period of time versus the 400 megawatts that we can get over a four hour period. So, you know, stacking it up and looking at it from a development, if all things were equal, there are a lot of places that would really benefit from having 10 to 12 hours of that long duration storage over the four hours. Yeah. Oh. Oh, I was just going to say, I, th I think there's a lot of, there are a lot of good technologies out there um, and there isn't a need for just one by any means. I mean, this is going to be like a multifaceted approach here. Um, but I mean, and taking a step back from just like what technology, just in general, you know, driving long duration is really, we've already seen California lead the way. And I think a lot of the reason is because it's coming through in their RFPs. And and a lot of those are relatively tech agnostic. I mean, they're just looking for eight or 10 hour or, or something to that extent. Extent. And then, you know, so w whichever technology gets picked. But we also see, you know, um, there's a, a, r a rather large compressed air project going in, in in California in a few years. So, I mean, there are definitely, you know, a, a variety of, of options that are out there. But um, those state goals and, and the state, you know, aggressiveness and then the, 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 the subsequent utility IRP and, and RFP processes are really going to start driving that longer duration, you know, in um, project viability. So Kelly, on that, you know, you've got projects going on in Arizona, California, a number of different states. Where would you like to see or where do you think is a prime location to be able to expand uh, in the future? 
I mean, we're really suffering in New York because of the ISO market construct. They don't uh, benefit and reward batteries for really some of the things that batteries can do for their grid, which is resiliency, reliability, the ability to integrate renewables coming in. And, and we're not getting annuity uh, stacks like we do in California, which is, and yet I'm spending a lot of my time, I'm a New York best board member. I work very hard with the governor's office, with NYSERDA, with you know the NISO, for them to really be urgent in terms of how they're addressing this market inequity and why they're seeing sort of a softening of, of, uh, of, of developers really wanting to put their money where their mouth is around these merchant projects, standalone projects. It's just, it's, it's created additional disincentive not having those uh, rewards, you know, in the, in the value chain. Um, so in terms of areas that I like to work in, I've really dedicated a lot of time to New York City, like I said, and I'd like, I think that's going to uh, shift around. I just, there was more urgency related to that. California, we're all bullish on. Everybody's here. You know, we've got a lot of projects in the queue. And, um, and, and there's no secret that that's because utilities are very, very strong in supporting us. Um, the two uh, gigawatts of batteries that are out in Arizona are really attractive to us because we sell that as a Kaiso Bucket One l resource. So we're not paying any toll coming because the, the transmission line that, that this is interconnecting with is Ali Starwood Energy's um, transmission line, new 500 kV line. Uh, and then I was able to get 18,000 acres conveyed through the BLM to the county there to help them with economic development. So from that standpoint, really, it's a California resource, right? It just happens to be in Arizona. Gotcha. So, Vanessa, it's been great having both of you guys uh, on to, to give your perspectives coming off the panel discussion. But Vanessa, what are your big takeaways from the, uh, the summit, uh, the most important things that you kind of want everybody to know? Uh, most important from the entire summit. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, well, okay. So I think um, what I mentioned before is that we have some of this uncertainty right now, but I think everybody from, you know, like the audience members to, to the panelists to, to Wood McKenzie. And I say that because it's obviously not just us. I'm not trying to be, um, you know, maybe show like a biased opinion or show something overly positive. Uh, so I think most everybody in the industry is still pretty optimistic about um, just how the industry will continue to progress and um, costs will continue to decline. At, you know, we just were in a little bit of a, a hump right now. We'll get over it and we'll continue to, to deploy a lot of uh, solar and storage um, because this has been, you know, a multi-technology uh, summit uh, this, this time around. So yeah, I mean, I, I think that's kind of like the, the overall takeaway is that everyone is still like super optimistic and super excited about, you know, continuing to work in these projects. It's certainly not like a, a stake in the, in the industry by any means. Ed Kelly, obviously, besides coming on this podcast, favorite part of the, the summit? Well, I mean, it's it's so much fun to come and see my Mac friends. And we talk a lot. And I'm sort of at the edge of the sword in a lot of these markets. So it's been great, you know, to be able to have off the record conversations that then help to pollinate a lot of the research and the reports that they're generating for the industry so that the industry is getting really good granular data about what is really happening on the ground in the on these projects. And so that, that's been great. They really know how to throw a great party. They picked a super great venue. The networking has been incredible. Um, yeah, so I, I mean, I continue to be very excited about the opportunities in the energy storage and, and in renewable energy in general. Um, and I think some of the lessons that we're learning need to be communicated to some of the regulators and the ISO markets so that they they know that we need to make this transition. They know how important batteries are and they need to be more urgent in terms of adopting some of these strategies that's going to help the industry as we're kind of going through what's been a couple tough years with the both the interest rates as well as the commodities. Yep. But favorite part of my experience has been the podcast. Absolutely. Just to let you know. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and that's been what everybody said. Uh, oh, yeah. So oh, no, you, I know, for sure. Number two is MC. So, I mean, you guys like eked ahead there. That's, that's pretty good. Yeah, the, and the in-person has been nice. I mean, Vanessa and I have, have spoken on the phone or via computer, but this is the first time we got to meet in person. So it's nice to get everybody out and about mm -hmm. uh, as well. Absolutely. Well, yeah. Um, Thanks so much, David. This is yeah. fun. Yeah. Love well, it. thank you guys for joining us. Appreciate it and enjoy what we have left of, of day three. And, and glad you guys both have enjoyed the conference and, uh, and thanks for participating. Yeah, absolutely. Thank and, you. Th and thank you for, you know, taking these, you know, messages and, you know, these from the ground forward to a broader audience. So we really appreciate that. Rachel Goldstein, uh, community solar analyst at Wood McKenzie, just finished up a panel discussion. I'm going to see if I can grab her uh, for a quick chat. 
Well, we've got Rachel Goldstein, uh, solar analyst with Wood McKenzie here uh, at the conference. Uh, thanks for joining us, Rachel. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, and welcome back to the podcast. Thanks. Yeah, it was great chatting with you guys a couple months ago on Community Solar and great to be back. What's been your favorite part so far? Well, the panels have been wonderful. I've also really enjoyed getting to meet with um, a lot of the clients and a lot of the folks that I talk to on a regular basis here in person. Um, I think that's where some of the best conversations I've had are coming from. And it's just been great to grab a coffee and get to know a little bit more about what the folks in the industry are most working on and most excited about and even most, um, you know, concerned about and see how that's going to play into the research that we all do here at Woodmac. It's uh, it's right on the heels of a significant announcement out of the administration oh, yes. earlier this week. So there's been a lot of buzz on that. Uh, how do you feel going forward specifically as it relates to community solar? Yeah. So what's interesting about the tariff case is that community solar is and would certainly be heavily impacted by a tariff um, like the one that was proposed. It certainly caused plenty of delays every week that we waited for clarity from the president was uh, another moment that that companies weren't really able to know what was coming next. And that certainly caused significant delays. Community Solar was a little bit more shielded in some ways, simply because of the scale of the projects and um, just the way that this sector is so policy dependent. However, it would certainly be feeling the heat from a tariff. So I think everybody in the industry is really relieved to see the Defense Production Act put into place here and just gives relief to the industry in a time that we need to be scaling up solar as fast as possible. What do you think about the future prospects uh, for community solar over the next, call it 12, 24 months? Yeah, I think there's there's a lot in the pipeline. And um, I know a lot of companies are really scaling up and looking to to get into the community solar space, particularly New York. We're, we're going to see a lot of uh, build out there. And at the same time, there are several states that are kind of struggling under uh, certain logistical and regulatory issues, whether that be interconnection, study agreements, or just needing a little bit more clarity on um, some policy and programs. Maine and Massachusetts have certainly still continued to struggle a bit with interconnection problems, Maine in particular. But that said, it is community solar is a growing part of the community solar industry. And I think there's just a lot of excitement around it, and I'm really excited to see how that segment grows. The big topic uh, these days right now is solar plus storage. And how are you seeing that going forward? Do you see any challenges still with that? But that seems to be what a lot of people are talking about these days. Yes, and that's definitely a big priority of this conference. Um, I actually had my panel yesterday. Um, I moderated a panel on community solar plus storage which is a little bit niche, but at the same time, it's definitely a way to overcome some of the barriers that community solar faces. Community solar plus storage can certainly allow community solar projects to work on the grid in the way that maybe they wouldn't be able to otherwise. Um, For example, there's a lot of concern around putting larger projects on the distribution end of the grid. And um, that's what causes so many slowdowns in terms of interconnection agreements. But, you know, if we have a energy storage facility co-located with community solar, that can really manage load on the grid. And that can provide an opportunity to allow these community solar projects to be um, better integrated into that end of the grid. So while there's only a couple of states that have kind of growing community solar plus storage markets, um, I think my panel yesterday definitely revealed that companies have some interest in seeing opportunities to pair um, those resources because it can be an opportunity to let community solar grow in areas where it's very grid constrained. So hopefully we'd see over the next 12, 24 months, the project pipeline for community solar grow, not just in the states that are already advancing, but uh, new ones as well. Yes, there's definitely a lot of new policy um, moving through the legislature in a couple of states. And it's going to be exciting if that does pass and become law because we will be able to see community solar expanding into new markets. And do you see on the financing side for that, um, as the legislation continues to get through, that that'll open up more funding sources for these types of projects? I hope so. I think that investors would be excited if they saw that there was a growing opportunity for community solar in new markets. Um, so, you know, as new legislation passes, perhaps in the Midwest, maybe California, 
there might be investors might be seeing opportunities to you know build out community solar involvement and hopefully see that grow as well. Well, thanks a lot for your time. I hope you enjoy the rest of the conference and San Diego as well. Thank you so much. Looking forward to the opportunity today to speak with some of our sponsors and partners here at Day 3. Uh, we'll be joined by Ty Keefe uh, from EPC Power, Justin Hopkins from Franklin Whole Homes, and Ananth Benedict from Phoenix Contact. All right, we're joined by Ty Keefe from EPC Power. Uh, Ty, welcome. I appreciate it. Thank you. So EPC is a sponsor of the summit. So why, why is it important for you guys to be involved in here? It's important because we're a local manufacturer. We're just, a, just northeast in Poway, California. We want to stay localized, make sure everyone knows that we're around. Um, it's just it's important to have at least the inverter side sponsored in an event like this, just to you know, show face. And it's, it's very important. And we make a lot of friends here. So. Yeah, and continue the drive uh, across the across the market. So tell me a little bit about EPC Power. What are you guys doing and approaching the market? We are an inverter manufacturer, and we're out of Poway, California. Um, so AC to DC, DC to AC. So we're just kind of the link between the solar or the battery to the alternating current that would go to your house. And, and how are you seeing uh, the future, you know, kind of based on some of the things that you've heard from the seminar uh, thus far? Sure. Yeah, future looks great. Based on the seminar, I mean, everyone's in a great mood. Um, I'm sure this seminar, it's my first time here, but I'm sure it's been growing every year. So um, things are looking up. Any, uh, any challenges you see going forward? As a, as a business, it's a little bit hard to keep up with inquiries, um, which is always good. But um, as a business, we're also expanding into uh, the Eastern market. Uh, we're building a factory in, the, in South Carolina. I've been on for about a couple months, but I'm from Greenville, South Carolina, where the factory is being built. Oh, great. Yeah, so we're going to double production and probably triple it the next year. So so are you actually in San Diego now? or are No, you sir. I'm, I'm visiting. Okay. Yeah, I, um, I'm flying back actually a few hours. <laughs> so what's next on uh, your agenda for today? My agenda, I'm going to enjoy the storage topics. Um, as an inverter company, we are mostly 85% storage based. So we, um, we have a, pretty, a storage inverter. We can do anything, but... At storage, I'm just um, looking forward. My boss, Adam Kabolski, he's going to be talking around 2.30. I'm looking forward to that. So if you had one key takeaway from what you've heard from the summit, uh, what would that be that everybody should kind of keep in mind? The business is growing. If you want to get in, you should get in. Um, it's a good time to make decisions. And um, yes, everything looks positive. Nothing negative, for me at least. So Great. Uh, I know you want to get in there to hear the storage part of it, so thanks for stopping by and chatting with us. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. We're joined by Justin Hopkins at Franklin Hole Homes. Justin, welcome. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate you. So how are you finding the uh, summit? Man, it's, it's been a really a cool, incredibly intimate opportunity to rub shoulders with some of industry's most influential policymakers and leaders right now. It's, it's been incredible. And what have you found uh, most interesting? You know, being a storage application, being a battery, um, it's been great to see uh, some of the large scale uh, moves that, you know, utilities are making that seeing where the industry is, is perceived, um, because I think there's a lot of hope and faith in storage as a distribution policy, you know, moving forward. And uh, we're excited to be at the front of that. And what do you think some of the, the biggest challenges are? You know, uh, consumer understanding of how these products work is led by, you know, the sales force. And it's really important that I think solar representatives, energy consultants, uh, be truth tellers and be and really set these guys up for success. There's, um, I think, up until now, solar has maybe always had a dark name in the sales side, right? And Pete, there's a reason they tell you to get three or four quotes. And it, I'm excited to see uh, it, this information become public knowledge and to see these sales guys become experts. And we're seeing now a shift where people, consultants can step into the home and really, really help a homeowner understand what they're going to get out of their solar system, out of their battery, how it's going to work and benefit them now and 20 years from now. Yeah, that's one of the topics that we cover a lot on this podcast, actually, is is the education part of it. And um, that's what we're trying. That's what we aim to do. Right. Is help everybody understand what's going on with the energy transition, solar battery storage, all that. And, and so Franklin's a, a sponsor. So what's important to you guys about sponsoring this event and being involved? Yeah, you know, it's important to us uh, that, A, that people get, we want people to start getting excited about storage. I think up until now, it's something that people see, oh, this is too expensive, or I don't understand it, is the, the kind of the two things I hear the most. Um, when in reality, 
you know, storage is a way for you to take that power that you're generating on your roof, hold it in your pocket where it's most valuable, and then use it when it's, you know, again, when it's most needed. And it's so kind of be allowing people to get those solar systems where they really wanted energy independence. Storage is that step. That's where it's the block before the utility. It's the way to say like, hey, we don't necessarily need these guys. Um, I love using the term grid agnostic. Like it's, it's there if you need it. Uh, but if you get enough storage, you know, it's, it's literally just a backup. You're, you know, the utility becomes your backup power. And I love that. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about Franklin Whole Homes and, and your place in the industry and what you guys are doing in the market. Yeah. So uh, we, are a, we are a battery and gateway system. Um, we're a 13.6 kilowatt hour storage. And the reason people have probably heard that number is the Tesla Powerwall, which is the largest capacity battery out there really right now, is uh, 13.5. So um, the thing with our battery is it is built for whole home storage. What, uh, what a lot of consumers don't know is that you can only get so much amperage out of a battery and its inverter. And um, along with a proprietary battery and inverter technology that has a high surge capacity, we also provide a gateway that allows you to land some of your more high use appliances, things like a four ton HVAC or a well pump or a heat pump or an electric car. You can land those things into our A-gate which is a 280 amp bus bar gateway, which is essentially gonna act as your main power system. So for people that maybe have smaller houses and have older electrical systems, this will allow them to upgrade into our battery instead of upgrading their electrical panel that is essentially owned by the utility, right? That allows them to land those larger appliances, uh, forego future costs um, in the battery and start their independence and how are you seeing the sector and what's your prediction going forward? Well, you know, up until now, there's, it's been tough for the battery companies to provide enough storage to vendors. So if, if you're getting a battery right now, you're probably waiting three to four or five months to get that battery on your home. Um, we, a, we know we're fixing a supply chain issue. Um, our batteries are automotive grade and they're coming from the largest automotive grade battery supplier in out of um, China. So BYD. And we're really proud of our partnership with Cattle and all those operations over there to make sure we have a steady supply of LFP, which is a safer chemistry and what most homeowners are requiring on their home now. Um, you know, we found that we've got a ton of availability and uh, we're able to, when people put an order in, we're able to deliver that order within a week. So it's, um, you know, helps with revenue, helps with these companies keeping their backlogs moving. Um, and I think they're always pleased to hear that our battery is available and we can get it to them right now. That's pretty unique, not just in battery storage, but everything these days <laughs> being able to get things in a week i don't think you can go to the grocery store right now and get something, get something right. exactly right milk milk's on a 14 day <laughs> waiting list all right well good well listen uh appreciate you stopping by yeah absolutely and uh glad you're finding the the summit very interesting and looking forward to the rest of the day but uh, appreciate your time yeah i appreciate you thanks man all right i was able to grab uh, an anth benedict from phoenix contact uh, thanks for joining us yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, and you guys are a sponsor of the conference. So uh, why is it important for you guys to be part of this? Uh, so Phoenix Contact, our vision is of an all-electric society um, that includes renewables. And obviously, energy storage is a really critical asset that enables renewables. So I'm leading the strategy for Phoenix Contact. And I was like, hey, we need to be here. <laughs> so that's why we're here. And what do you guys think of the market going forward and your positioning? Uh, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, you know, supply chain risks right now. There's a lot of uncertainties. Uh, so the best we can do is control what we can control, right? Um, and I, I'm, I'm optimistic. I think things are going to turn around. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of discussion about diversification of the supply chain. We're seeing long-duration energy storage. Uh, obviously, lithium-ion, uh, there's been, it's a proven technology. It's commercialized. Uh, but also now, because of that supply chain risks, it also opens up markets to new types of uh, battery suppliers. So that's why I'm optimistic. And, you know, renewables are going to happen, and energy storage is going to, and make it happen. What's been the most interesting part of the conference for you? Uh, for me, it's just to understand, you know, the whole supply chain. Uh, when I say supply chain, it's actually all the stakeholders across the value stream. Uh, because from a Phoenix contact standpoint, that's it's about value that you can provide as each stakeholder. And just looking at, I just uh, came out from a finance uh, uh, a discussion session here and just understanding, hey, the, you look at the interconnection queues, you're looking at uh, from a utility perspective, they're, look, they're thinking of, uh, if I put a battery uh, today from a battery supplier standpoint, they're looking at five, 10 years, but the utility is looking at 
20, 30 years in advance. So it's, they're looking at it as an asset uh, that can have a long-term value. So it's all about value and safety and reliability, all the key parameters. Um, so that's what you know. That's what's cool about um, you know coming here and listening to all these great guys. Excellent. It's been, definitely been enjoyable. Uh, well, Nat, thanks for uh, stopping by and spending a few minutes with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great talking to you. Given a lot of the discussion that we've had on various podcasts regarding the supply chain issues, uh, I've actually asked Aaron Bingham from Bewa RE to join us and talk about some of the issues that they're seeing in regards to the supply chain and things that they're doing to help alleviate it. Just off of a discussion, I was able to grab Aaron Bingham from Bewa RE Solar. Aaron, welcome. Thank you. So tell me, uh, how, do, how are you finding the, the seminar so far? It's been fantastic. You know, not only is it really good to be back in an in-person event, um, but it's been a great opportunity to connect with a lot of people in the industry that, you know, maybe I don't connect with every single day. Um, you know, lots of folks from different segments of the market have come here to, you know, learn from Woodmac and hear from the speakers. And so your topic uh, that you just got, got done talking with Chloe Holden about uh, is solar plus storage and kind of the, the supply crunch uh, mm -hmm. that we're facing right now. What are some of the, the key themes that you guys discussed? Some of the key themes that we discussed were, um, you know, how can installers be prepared to start installing, uh, you know, PV systems with energy storage? Um, what are some of the best practices that they should start employing right away as they're looking at different energy storage options that are available in the market and trying to figure out what's going to work best for them, their teams, and their customers? Yeah, so what, uh, what do you think are some of the things that can be done or, or should be done? As far as the supply crunch grows? Yes. Okay, so in terms of supply crunch, um, one of the key things that installers should be doing is working with their suppliers, you know, creating a forecast that's actually based on their install rate as opposed to their sales rate. Um, you know, we're primarily, uh, at least in, in the session that I just held with Chloe, we were focused on residential systems. And, um, you know, there it's really important for installers to make sure that their teams are well-versed on what the, what the broad landscape looks like in terms of options um, so that they're able to identify the right hardware for the applications that are going to come up most in their, in their sales. In, in terms of helping alleviate the supply crunch in that manner, how are you finding it? Is it, is it coming along well? Is it, what challenges are you facing still? Yeah, so there are still some significant headwinds when it comes to supply. Some of the challenges do just include some of the broader uh, macro uh, logistical challenges that I think most industries are dealing with these days. Um, but then there are some challenges that are more specific to energy storage, you know, and, and that includes uh, upstream supply materials crunch, right? So lithium prices have actually started to go back up. Um, and equipment costs are also increasing right now as well. Um, installers who are looking to address the supply crunch um, can work with their supply, suppliers to make sure that their forecasts are understood by their distributor and um, that their forecasts are being included in the distributor's uh, buying plans with the manufacturers. Yeah, we've talked uh, on this podcast a number of times about the, uh, the supply chain issues. Uh, it, it's not just a energy transition or solar storage. Uh, it's really across multiple industries that everybody is facing. And, and it's not just a, a sub, you know, the impact isn't being just felt because of the supply chain. It's also labor, a tight labor market. Uh, and, and so you're kind of almost in the perfect storm uh, of something like that. What do you think um, are some areas that could be approved upon, mainly from like a policy standpoint, that you think could help alleviate some of this moving forward. Obviously, Biden's administration announcement earlier this week is, is a step in the right direction. Uh, any thoughts in terms of what you'd like to see next? Yeah, I mean, it would, it would be fantastic to see more domestic manufacturing. I do, I do think that that's a bit of a ways out for energy storage, but there are some players who are focused either on um, doing more of the manufacturing processes here in the United States or doing more of the assembly here in the United States. And I think that... Um, both of those strategies can help alleviate some of the supply constraints that we're dealing with in the long run. Obviously, there's a lot of positivity around solar plus storage uh, during the seminar. You hear tomorrow's going to be a great, se great uh, sessions on, on storage. What do you see going forward from a technology standpoint for energy storage? 
Um, so we see more manufacturers coming to market um, and larger battery sizes are, are kind of proliferating in terms of options that are available. Um, I think in a couple of years, we will likely see more closely integrated um, PV plus storage solutions, um, likely from uh, single manufacturers in, in some cases, you know. Um, we've, we've already seen some manufacturers kind of pivot to a strategy where, um, you know, they're looking at module production and module supply as more of um, a commoditized space. And they're starting to focus on um, PV plus energy storage as a, from a holistic perspective um, as something that they're wanting to solve all within the domain of the products that they offer under their brand. So that's, that's, an, that's an interesting way that it looks like, uh, you know, the market may be trending, although there is a lot of value in being able to procure equipment from various manufacturers and have it all work together easily. We've seen a lot of challenges with that as well. And so um, I would anticipate that as, as we get further down the road, we'll see more solutions where, you know, the inverter, the, the battery components, all of the controllers, they're all from the same manufacturer. Um, and further down the road, I would expect the same to be true for the module component of the systems as well. Do you think that's being driven by the current environment and, and really trying to take the risk out of the supply chain? Because one of the topics around here the past couple of days has been vertical integration, bringing that in. And that seems like a way to alleviate some of that risk because solar plus storage is clearly the way everything is going. And so to, to take away the risk that you're reliant on another country or another company that might be impacting your business, it just seems like that vertical, vertical integration may be the way to go. And it seems like a lot of people might agree. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, th I think that that's largely true, although I can think of a few examples where um, manufacturers have moved to a strategy where they're working with uh, contract manufacturers to make modules, and, um, you know, they're focusing on other aspects of, of the system, right? So making sure that the inverter and the storage components are, are, um, are working together well and are, are viable solutions for anybody's energy storage needs. Well, listen, Aaron, I appreciate you taking the time uh, coming on the show, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the sessions. Thank you. Good to see you, David. Sylvia Leva Martinez just wrapped up a discussion. Uh, she is a solar analyst at Wynn McKenzie. I'm going to see if I can pull her in here and get some of her insights and thoughts from her discussion. Joined by Sylvia Leva Martinez, solar analyst at Wood McKenzie. Uh, Sylvia, welcome. Hey, thank you, David. I'm so excited to be here. So what's been your favorite part so far? Tricky question. I liked all of it. Um, I think in general, just like being able to meet everyone in person, just that was my highlight of, of the entire conference. Yeah, so you hosted a panel on uh, uh, ESG impact, like looking beyond just uh, the megawatt hour and solar power projects. Uh, what were some of the takeaways from your panel? I think in general, it's just to see the evolution of ESG like before it was very easy to like greenwash not only projects but the industry in general and now there is more scrutiny on what ESG means and how it's translated into strategy for developers for investors and ESG is actually adding value to those projects so it's creating jobs you're helping to rehabilitate communities that were uh, displaced by, for example, coal, because, for example, cities or uh, regions that were focused only on coal generation now are focusing on solar, for example. And that is actually a metric that is being used right now for ESG, job creation, uh, environmental justice, or environmental equity. So it's very interesting to see that there is more beyond just adding green megawatts to the grid. So I found it very useful to see that there is more beyond just adding solar panels to, to the system. So It was very insightful. We had Matt Cox uh, on yesterday from GreenLink Analytics, and it was the holistic approach uh, of education. Like, here is the overall impact. It's not just adding some green energy source. Uh, there's, there's health impacts, there's job creation, a number of different things that go into, that should go into the decision-making on these projects. So I, I thought it was really interesting to bring in some of those aspects that probably are not necessarily top of mind 
looking at these projects, but they really do have a positive impact to the, to the individual and the community overall. And it's not only the impact, it's also increasing the actual value of the project. So investors are also like monetizing those, the, like those ESG metrics, right? So I think it's a win-win situation for everyone. So obviously this week has been, um, you know, with the news earlier in the week, it's been very active in the discussions surrounding uh, what, what came out of the Biden administration. And it's been pretty nice to get everybody's perspective. So given not only that announcement early in this week, but overall what you've heard from panels, keynote speakers, what's your kind of thoughts going forward on solar? Yeah, so, well... With the announcement, amazing news for the industry. Not so great news for my forecast. <laughs> we'll <need> to, <laughs> I will need to change it. But um, what we are actually trying to measure is the exact impact of, of the announcement. So uh, talking to some suppliers, it, like we know that we're going to increase the utility scale forecast, but we're gauging exactly by how much. So we were estimating for utility scale, the build that was going to be about 10 gigawatts this year. Um, but now we're thinking about increasing it by two, three, maybe five gigawatts. And it depends on the ability of suppliers to be able to restart imports to the US. So it's restarting their production and restarting shipments. So this conference has been very helpful to just having these conversations in person with them and gaining some insights on uh, their ability to restart this production and to just restart the industry and their willingness of developers to restart negotiations as well. And you also hosted a panel discussion today on, on co-location. How did that discussion go? Oh, it went great. I think one of the key trends in both uh, DG and utility scale solar is that more and more projects are being co-located because there are more there is more value in having a storage paired with solar because you have more access to more revenue streams so uh during the discussion we had like more insight on what are developers thinking when co-locating in a storage asset to solar and how is this considered in the different negotiations what do investors consider what do investors discuss and how is this, for example, evaluated in a PPA negotiation and some other aspects? So, yeah. Appreciate you taking the time to join with us. Uh, it sounds like you had the key takeaways that I did just overall uh, optimism uh, coming out of this, this summit, as well as just looking at the obstacles that still remain and working, working through it. Yeah, I have really enjoyed the, the conference and I'm sure you did as well. So. Well, thank you. Awesome. Thank you. I just had an interesting discussion with Wilfred Audley, uh, bumped into him uh, grabbing a cup of coffee. And very interesting what his company, Alexis, does uh, in terms of smoothing out the grid with their grid-enhancing technology. So I've actually asked him to come and sit down and have a little chat with us on what he's seeing and what they're doing in the, in the market. Nah. To have him come sit down with us on uh, what Alexis is doing. We're joined by uh, Wilfred Audley here uh, on day two with Alexis Energy. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's, it's, uh, it's a beautiful place here in San Diego. I'm excited to be here. So what do you think of our uh, podcasting studio here with the nice view of the bay? You know, of the thousands of podcasts that I've been on, uh, I would have to say that this is, this is probably the best one I've ever, ever seen. There's, there's people on the beach over there partying, and, you know, we're sitting here inside just jealously looking at them, but... But this bay is incredible. What a view. Um, what a venue. Thank you, Wood McKenzie, for putting it on. Yeah, I, I tried to get the, uh, the setup down by the pool or at least the beach for today. But uh, uh, once again, we shot down. We'll see if maybe I can get it on the third day. Are these, uh, are these mics waterproof? Because uh, we might have to hop in and, and start recording there. <laughs> Give it a shot. Yeah. So how are you enjoying the conference so far? I'm loving it. I really am. Um, you know, we just had Mary Powell speak early this morning, which is great for me. I've been following Sunrun for years, um, and I loved what she was doing. It, it was it was funny because at a moment, uh, she just became the CEO, and previously it was Lynn Jurich, who was the co-founder. And she talked about how 
people had imagined she was coming in to kind of lighten that reputation that Sunrun was going after, the utilities kind of, you know, challenging the status quo. And she just doubled down. She went after the utilities just just the same, uh, which I loved because, you know, previously we thought, oh, she's coming in to kind of, you know, uh, band-aid that relationship up, but she went right back at him. So, so I appreciated that, and that was definitely one of the best moments so far. Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, what, one thing that came out of that, that uh, keynote speech this morning was passion. She definitely had the passion, uh, and it was really interesting to see. Uh, So tell us about Alexis. Absolutely. So, you know, about a year and a half ago, I had actually started my own uh, energy consulting business. Um, And then I got in tune called Beach Energy Consulting, and then I got in contact with Alexis Energy, which is an Australian-based power electronics company. So that's who I do most of my uh, they're my main client, so that's who I'm representing here today is Alexis Energy. And we are a uh, power electronics company, a voltage management regulator uh, with AI integrated, a hardware solution, hardware software solution based um, offering. Uh, we are built out of Australia, obviously, and Australia has the highest rooftop solar PV per capita in the world. So we like to think that we understand the modernized grid that we always keep talking about. Uh, we think we understand the issues, uh, the problems, uh, what's going to occur, and we have a commercial-ready solution available for that. Um, I love what Alexis is doing. Is We're moving international because we understand this, this offering is needed now. It, it can solve so many different issues that occur on the distribution grid, the low-voltage low grid, um, when you increase the penetrations of DERs. Uh, you know, to get more specifically into it, uh, there is a voltage volatility issue uh, along feeders. As you grow along the feeder without any DER, or, you know, solar, um, there's this thing called voltage droop. So as it goes along the, the feeder, the voltage is continuously dropping. But when you add DER and you add solar and you export that back onto the grid, it actually rises. It rises instead. So there's this continuous kind of volatility that is going on. Um, within the physical dimensions of the actual network. Because of this voltage volatility, there's grid constraints. So the grid constrains you and to a point to keep it safe and reliable. Alexis comes in and smooths out that curve. You know, when you have this jump up from the solar, jump down from the feeder droop, uh, Alexis comes in and smooths that curve out. That causes so many efficiencies and then actually increases the hosting capacity of the network on the spot. So say you take a site that originally was sized to self-consumption because of these voltage issues, you can now optimize that solar system. Say it was a 300kW site, you know, a big box store. We can now actually fully optimize that solar system and fill the rooftop and make it a 1.25 megawatt store, uh, you know, with, uh, with a full optimized rooftop system. And we did that in Australia. We did that in Adelaide uh, on IKEA. IKEA is one of our biggest strategic partners. They're committed to, um, you know, sourcing all of their energy from renewable energy. And so we were able to allow them to do that uh, because we overcome these, these network issues that arise from large penetrations of DER. And how are you seeing the international expansion? I mean, is that going well? I mean, you've got the base in Australia that has obviously been very successful in expanding out. Any areas that have been more receptive than others? Absolutely. So, you know, in this industry, everything is slow and it takes time. It's validation, validation, validation. And that's what I keep saying to myself. So, you know, utilities are gatekeepers for the entire market. So that takes time and takes relationships. But in my personal opinion, I love what we're doing. You know, instead of being, you know, vertically integrated to, you know, development, the operations, you know, we want to license our technology to anybody that can use it and benefit of it, um, which I love. And I love that model because um, it's, it's very new in this type of in this industry. I think that we're doing great in the U.S. Uh, you know, we're on the cusp of demo projects right now, and we're doing great in the U.K. We have a, a project uh, signed and ready for Cyprus, you know, the island of Cyprus. Um, and, you know, so much on the fly, uh, so much going on, but I love that. I love that energy. I love that that, that positivity, that, like you were talking about before, that, that passion. So everything, you know, things are trending in the right direction. Good to hear. What... Uh so for the remainder of the conference here, we've got solar and storage today and, and tomorrow's storage. What are you looking forward to seeing next? Yeah, I mean, I really want to see the lessons and the experience that I know 
from the Australian network and studying the Australian market, I want those issues to start to arise in knowledge base in America. You know, I, I think that part of my job is education. Uh, take the experiences that we know from a grid that is five to ten years ahead of the American grid and and educate other people on those, you know, so that we're prepared for it and we have solutions already ready rather than stumble upon those issues. So what I'm really looking forward to seeing is how do we ensure exportation of excess solar and how do we ensure value stack of storage, you know, with FERC order 2222, I think that was four twos, uh, with that order, we have the ability now to to access wholesale markets and value stack all these different offerings to come to a you know an economically viable uh, project, and that's that's the future and that's what's going to happen. So we just need to be able to figure out the perfect standardization of that practice as we enter different markets. So that's what I'm looking forward to: ensuring exportation and seeing our ability to access wholesale markets through energy storage and solar, and and from there, you know, we'll hit the ground running. I think that's the future. Yeah, Mary was talking a lot about uh, grid optimization uh, today during her address. So, well, listen, uh, Wilfred, appreciate you joining us, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the conference. Absolutely. I appreciate the time. So coming up to the end of the final day for the summit, uh, we'll be joined lastly by Chris Seipel, who, if you recall, he kicked off our, our podcast at the beginning of the summit, given his overall views on what he was expecting and his excitement around it. And I'll be interested to get Chris's take on, on his views for the past three days. And we'll try to grab him here uh, about to the end of the day. All right, we'll wrapping up day three of the Solar and Energy Storage Summit. Got Chris Seipel. Chris, give us some of your thoughts on how the conference went, some of the big takeaways. Sure. Um, well, the conference was, uh, again, just great to be back in person with people. Um, although it, uh, it has been exhausting, nonstop people from 8 o'clock in the morning until midnight most days, I think. I guess, uh, you know, to kind, of, to kind of like summarize at a high level, you know, what I kind of experienced and the summary of kind of what I've heard is I think it is as this like this road that we have to go down to decarbonize our economy and to address this issue of climate change. But it is a very bumpy road. And that's, that's kind of what we heard this week. It, it is, you know, a lot of optimism about the innovation, the capabilities of, of companies to have solutions to these challenges. Um, also just like, you know, the potential scale of the opportunity um, for investors is also great because enormous amounts of capital are going to be required to do this. But at the same time, there are just all these really difficult bumps on the road to navigate. You have, you know, um, a lack of policy uncertainty around a lot of issues. I mean, we had a very positive announcement from the Biden administration to kind of start the conversation and kick off our discussions um, this week, but it didn't get rid of the cloud of uncertainty. We don't know if somebody's going to bring a lawsuit, for instance, you know, to kind of challenge that decision. Um, interconnection cues, you know, that we just heard about that are holding up projects. Um, it is a whole new world in terms of financing that's changed over the past six months where, you know, we had incredibly inexpensive financing um, available to finance all of these very capital intensive projects and the interest rate increases that we've experienced over the past couple of months, you know, are, are another factor in addition to commodity increases that are pushing these prices up. And then there's the bumps on the road for the consumers. I mean, dealing with the cost of all of this, um, you know, hearing from electric utility around how they're really sensitive about, um, really sensitive about this, the impact that this will have on their, their rate payers and the local economy. And, you know, and then a, Above all, all, all else, um, there's a lot of parts that just technologically, financially, we don't know how they're going to work. You know, we, we talked about hydrogen, but um, there's going to be, there's a lot of unanswered questions about really how hydrogen starts to get scaled up. Um, we were just, I just came out of a session talking about long duration storage. Long duration storage is necessary, but we don't have that technology at scale today. Um, so just, you know, a lot of challenges, a lot of bumps along the road. and. Um, you know, Mary was really my, one of my favorite speakers, you know, and, and I loved kind of the, the optimism, the energy, 
in the kind of we all have to work together, you know, in partner, utilities, developers, the financiers, the regulators to, to you know, to figure out a way to kind of solve these um, problems. So I leave energized, but I see a lot of bumps on the road. I would definitely echo uh, those sentiments. I mean, if I had to pick two words that kind of summed up this week, it would be passion uh, and optimism. But yet there's still a number of headwinds. I think the announcement earlier this week gave people hope that, hey, it's moving in the right direction. And like you said, starting the discussion. And so there's optimism around that. But there's a lot to do, not only technologically, but policy wise. The financial markets have to uh, come back and uh, play ball. Uh, but I, I definitely agree with that. I think it's been very well attended and just the feedback from people I've talked to has been um, very positive and that getting back in person was obviously a big help. Yeah. You know, if there's one other thing I want to add that, you know, that, the, that I kind of left out of the conversation. And um, I was really proud of our own team for putting inclusion, our Wood McKenzie team, for getting inclusion in a diversity session in renewable energy as part of the conference agenda as well. And... Um, you know, in, to the optimism, you know, that you described and, and kind of what I'm talking about needing to build, bring together like the best teams, um, that, you know, that was a really important part of the conversation for me this week as well. And I, and I think everybody, everybody here really appreciated us having that conversation also. And that is kind of the, you know, just, just another thing that we need to be really cognizant about in bringing together the best teams that we can to kind of address all of these issues. Well, the, the agenda was excellent, and I think everybody, the speakers, presenters, uh, all the panel participants did a, did a terrific job, and I think it was a, it, it was a well-received summit. Yeah, and we appreciate your efforts and in, in kind of the live reporting that you've been doing uh, throughout the session, so thanks very much. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. Uh, we'll save travels back. Thank you. Thanks for joining us over the past three days. Uh, it's been enjoyable for me. Met a lot of very interesting people, uh, fascinating discussions, uh, some of the most brilliant minds in the industry. Uh, got to stop by and give us their views on what they're seeing going forward. Thanks again for, for listening, and we'll join you on the next podcast. <laughs>